Good morning, and welcome back to uh, another episode of Brewing in China. My name's Joe, and I'm the founder of Bionic Brew. And as I said in the last episode that I was going to try to get one out pretty quick, um, I didn't realize when I said that that my day was going to stack up pretty quickly, and uh, the only way I could actually record it today was to get up at 4.30 in the morning and get it done. So apologies if I'm a little sleepy, and i got to take a lot of sips for coffee, but I had... Um, uh, some notes I wanted to get out, and, and this was a, the only time I could do it this week. So uh, I was at um, CBC in Nashville, the Craft Brewers Conference, a couple weeks ago, and uh, a lot of people that I spoke with had questions about distribution in China. And so I wanted to share some some information I had on that subject and my thoughts on it since I I do have a distribution company in China that is um, is very small but we have done distribution for a couple of years for ourselves and for a few other brands and I could give you some of the insights that I've seen along the way but before I get into you know my experience I wanted to first share the data that I received from a um, a large investor in the West was is looking at the Chinese beer market and they contacted me a few months back and they wanted some help on gathering some data for um, the premium category of their of their um, analysis that they're putting together. And as sort of a thank you for helping them, they sent me their their document, which is around 20 pages in length. And uh, it, it kind of went over what has been happening in the beer industry, particularly what they could find in English, which a lot of that was related to, to ABM Bev. And then I took that and I, I kind of took out some of the key points of it and, and I wrote it down, and I'm going to give that to you now, and then I'm going to follow that up with some of the things that I've seen in my own business. So uh, here we're going to get started, and I'll tell you, you know, what the what the document said. I am not going to. I'll cite the sources that I can, but I'm not going to tell you where the document came from, uh, just to, for privacy reasons. But um, it's some really good information about what's been going on in the Chinese beer industry. So. Um, Hope you like it, and if you uh, have some more questions, uh, please email me at joe at bionicbrew.com. That's J-O-E at bionicbrew.com, and I can uh, answer answer those in a, in a future podcast. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. All right, beer consumption in China. So China consumes about 25 billion liters of beer per year. And by the way, this document is going to, you know, this information is going to be in in metric system because that's what everybody in the world uses outside the United States. So apologies that I know, um, you know, many of the people, uh, about half the people that listen to this are in the United States. But we also have about 50% of the people uh, that are not and that are in Germany, Australia, and, and other regions of the world. So most people are going to understand liters. For those Americans that don't, it's about 3.78 liters in a gallon. And uh, we don't use barrels either. So we're using liters, hectoliters, um, that, that volumetric measurement. So China consumes about 25 billion liters of beer per year, which is far more than the U.S.'s 18 billion liters. But it only generates revenues of 20 billion U.S. dollars, while the U.S. beer market uh, amounts to about 40 billion U.S. dollars. So China accounts for a quarter of the world's beer volume, 
and a tenth of the revenue, but it makes up just 3% of the global profit pool, according to Deutsche Bank. Uh, and this is because of the low prices in the region. So China has a strong beer culture, according to ABI, ABMBEV. Quote, nine out of ten alcohol consumers drink beer, end quote. Um, such a high penetration and acceptance of beer results in a high share of throat for beer at 70%. This is one of the highest across the world. End quote. However, China still ranks at the lower range of beer consumption per capita compared to the rest of the world. These numbers can be a little misleading, according to Mr. Ping Du, former de- deputy general manager at Qingdao Brewery. Quote, the consumption per capita is high in first-tier cities such as Shandong, Beijing, Guangdong, and Fujian, and comparatively low in markets of Hunan and western China. The consumption amount can be 50 liters or even 60 liters per capita in the first-tier cities. End quote. What brings down the average is the western region of China, where consumption per capita is below 10 liters in some provinces. Other than low prices and below average consumption per capita, another peculiarity of the Chinese drinker is the way they purchase and consume the product. While in the U.S. beer is heavily concentrated at home watching sports, in China more than 50% of the beer is consumed in restaurants and the tables will be small to large groups and only one person will make an order and pay the entire bill. Other than restaurants, the other important place where beer is consumed is the uh, karaoke's, or in China we call them KTVs. According to a former ABI director of distribution, quote, restaurants and karaoke boxes will remain the main sales channels for beer makers, end quote. Last year, uh, or lastly, either at home or at restaurants or KTVs, about 90% of beer is consumed in meal settings, which contributes to the beer consumer to prefer light beer in China, while average alcohol concentration in beer is about three, perf- uh, I'm sorry, about five percent across the world. In China, this is closer to two or three percent. So, competitive landscape: the Chinese beer market is dominated by four large beer brands: Qingdao, Snow, ABMBev, and Yanqing, who together have close to eighty percent of all beer sales in the country. This is still uh, much more fragmented than more developed beer markets where the top two players usually uh, have above 80% of the market, such as in the U.S. We've got ABI and Miller Coors on most of the market. It's a little bit more uh, fragmented here, but but not much. Other than ABI, the leaders in the industry are all state-owned enterprises. However, beer has never been a strategic industry for the government, so they all operate as commercial entities, different from the mobile and banking industries, which are kind of an extension of the government. Sorry, more coffee. Uh, according to Pedro Idar, all the state-owned breweries have a strategy of de- defining the very minimum margin they could operate and focus on volume growth. This led to the very low average prices we see in the industry and the very low margins. In 2017 results, the three state-owned breweries had margins between 11.6 and 13%, while ABI had margins of 29% in China. The average price of beer in China in 2012 was just $1.20 per liter, compared to $3.70 per liter in the U.S. and over $5 in Japan. In order to escape this low-price, low-margin business model, ABI and also Heineken focused on premium products, charging multiples of which the state-owned brewers charge for their mainstream beer. According to the former director of distribution of ABI, quote, even the cheapest product of Budweiser beer is sold at a higher price than the most expensive product of snow breweries, end quote. Other than the scale achieved by these large brewers, rules have uh, around product safety give another edge to the giants. Regulations require a stamp of quality approval on bottles produced inside China. These stamps are available only to production lines that generate at least 12,000 bottles an hour. I said an hour. Huge multiples of what 
smaller uh, breweries produce. Beer bottled in China also must be pasteurized and filtered by law, which is eliminating yeast and sediments that give craft beers character. In practice, these rules mean microbreweries have to sell their beer in kegs on site in brew pubs. As these regulations apply only to local production, imports, however, can be easily distributed anywhere, and they don't have to play the same requirements around product safety. In China, beer is the rare market in which the country plays favorites with big foreign companies at the expense of local producers. That's an important note. They're actually advantageous to be an importer and uh, sorry to be a foreigner and import your beer to China at this time than is to make it in China. Um, is if you're if you're focused on um, small package products like bottles and cans. So the big beer makers are concentrated in China's eastern, central, and northeast regions. In China's rural regions, characterized by relatively few sales outlets and high transportation costs, beer drinkers can find a slim variety of offerings, mostly at small stores. The Drinks Business, which is a global leading uh, drinks trade publication, gives an overview of the strategy of each brewer in China. Snow and Qingdao, for example, have a presence all over the Chinese territory. ABI focuses in regions with GDP above 120 million U.S. dollars, while Yanjing and Carlsberg are more exposed to regions with GDP below $120 million. So sales and distribution. In the distribution side, regulations disproportionately favor the biggest players in China. While in the U.S., brewers can't legally own bars or monopolize monopolize the beer uh, a bar offers, in China, brewers can and do buy bars um, in addition to controlling distributors. On top of that, the lax regulation allows brewers to buy out retailers, so it's very common for the big brewers to offer presents, you know, quote, presents, unquote, to restaurants and pubs like refrigerators, draft beer counters, or just straight up free beer in exchange for exclusively selling their beer on establishment. Despite the beneficial regulatory aspect, brewers still mostly outsource their distribution, mainly because of the size of the country and the many differences between the provinces. The beer distribution industry is very fragmented. This is a consequence of how the market evolved, with beers having a very local presence. Market has a very f- uh, fragmented because regional and governments owned local breweries during the economic planning period, and they enacted various trade barriers to protect their own local breweries. A bottle of Yanjing beer, which is from Beijing, uh, costs 18 cents in its home province, but it would be sold for up to a dollar in Sichuan uh, due to the provincial fees and taxes. And Sichuan is in the north, uh, I'm sorry, southwest of China. On top of that. It was prohibitively expensive to move goods between regions in China due to high logistics costs rooted in poor infrastructure. Lastly, because of traffic regulations that limit the size of trucks on city roads during daytime, distributors use small trucks, vans, and even uh, like three-wheeled carts and, and taxis to transport beer. This regional focus on high and high transportation costs combined with low sales margins results in a lot of fragmentation in, in the distribution market. Brewers have to deal with more than 20 first-tier wholesalers wholesalers in each region, uh, plus second and third tier wholesalers to cover smaller retail outlets. ABI has 5,000 distributors in China versus about 500 in the United States. ABI also tries to get very close to its distributors to have exclusivity. According to um, Jean Gerasati, quote, we select a selected group among them that we call the elite club. And then we can go even deeper with an especially close relationship. We build business plans together each year, closely follow their performance, support their growth, and help them expand with us, taking care of the successor programs and transferring knowledge, for example, on logistics processes, customer credit scoring, etc. End quote. As previously mentioned, beer sales in China over-index in the on-premise compared to uh, global standards. According to uh, Bank of America, uh, B of A Merrill Lynch, 
on-premise accounts for about 50% of beer consumption in China versus a world average of 37%. Um, I would actually estimate that to be much higher um, it, consumption on-premise in China personally. And uh, ABI's exposure to on-premise is higher than the industry's because of its high exposure to premium. So according to Jin Yunzhou, a former director of distribution at Anheuser-Busch InBev, quote, both nightclubs and restaurants constitute AB InBev's main sales channels, end quote. At a presentation to students, Pedro Adar highlighted restaurants and KTVs as the most important beer sales channels where, quote, KTV accounted for only 5% of the industry volume but was much more profitable, end quote. Pedro also highlighted that when you win a contract with a KTV, you usually don't have any competition on that spot since, quote, in KTVs you usually have one or two beer options from the same supplier, end quote. I can attest to that being completely true. So ABI has also been talking a lot about the online channel. However, this channel still accounts for less than 1% of industry sales. And according to Jin Yunso, former director of distribution, quote, I don't think beer makers can achieve large sales volumes online. Restaurants and karaoke boxes will remain the main sales channels for beer makers, end quote. If online becomes a relevant channel, however, it seems like ABI is well positioned, being the number one player in the most relevant three big e-retailers, which are Tmall, YHD, and Jindong. So a little bit more about ABI uh, in China. Despite both Anheuser-Busch and Interbrew being present in China since the 90s, the game changer came with the merger between the two companies. While Anheuser-Busch had a good presence in China with Budweiser and Harpeen, the business wasn't very profitable. On the other hand, after a few successful small acquisitions, InBev started generating a good amount of cash with Cedron, an acquisition made in 2006. According to pa- uh, Paulo Edar, the quote, Cedron acquisition transformed InBev's life in China. Cedron generated enough cash to to compensate the cash loss and other investments in China, end quote. With the merger between the Anheuser-Busch and InBev, uh, ABI had the cash from Cedron and the growth platform from Budweiser. The big strategy uh, change in ABI came in 2009 when Miguel Patricio made a presentation to the board named, quote, how are we going to roll out the big China dream, end quote. Up to 2010, ABI was investing US do- uh, 250 million U.S. dollars uh, a year in China. Miguel recommended that this was uh, to be increased to a billion U.S. dollars per year. So from the beginning, the company focused on the premium segment. It mapped out 300 cities in China, focusing on disposable income today and disposable income five years from now. Look for the highest addition of wealth. According to Pedro Adar, when income is growing, there's a certain point of inflection. Of indulgence categories like ABI look for provinces that hadn't gone through this inflection yet. On top of investing in the premium segment, ABI also had significant presence in the mainstream segments with its Harbin brand. With Harbin, ABI has a market share of 7%, producing 26 million hectoliters of beer every year. Snow still sells more than four times Harbin's volumes, but ABI's core brand was growing volumes at a double-digit pace up to 2014. Inside the mainstream segment, ABI also has Harbin Ice, which is the core plus category, and generates higher margins than Harbin, which is in the core segment. So they've got core, core plus, and they've got premium. 
So since 2010, ABI has built 12 new breweries in China, totaling 55 breweries at a uh, $3.5 billion U.S. dollar investment, plus another $2.5 billion in acquisitions, and increased coverage of the Chinese market from 27% to 65%, missing only the western region of the country. The strategy led to the company increasing its, vol- its share of volumes from 12% to 16% of the entire mark. Sorry, 12% to 18% of the entire market, while its share of profits is closer to 40% today, because of its number one position in the premium segment. The leading presence in the premium category has also helped with margins, which are way higher than the local players. Um, ABI's margins grew from 15% in 2012 to 29% in 2017. On top of that, the cash conversion seemed to be better in China, according to the company, uh, as working capital is on average about uh, less than 45% of the company's revenues in China versus a global average of negative uh, 13%. This is attributed to the company having very favorable terms with its suppliers in China. Basically, ABI is able to dictate terms for their suppliers, and uh, it's working in their favor wonderfully. So Snow, who is Snow? Well, Snow is owned by um, China Resources Beer, which is a central government-owned company. It is the world's largest beer group by sales volume, selling over 118 million hectoliters for as cheap as around 49 cents for a uh, 330 ml can. The company initially focused in northern provinces and in 1997 expanded to Sichuan, uh, a southwestern province. By 2017, China Resources Snow brand operated 91 breweries in 25 provinces with a capacity of 22 million kiloliters. Um, so China Resources Beer uh, acquired SAB Miller's 49% stake in Snow for $1.6 billion in 2016 and uh, CR has, has more brands other than Snow, but this brand accounts for about 90% of their beer sales. According to ABI, uh, former director of distribution, quote, Snow Breweries has done a better job than AB InBev with respect to securing exclusive cooperation with restaurants by giving away refrigeration when orders reach a certain threshold, sending salespeople to restaurants and offering promotional products, end quote. Uh, yeah, and, and Snow is a brand that I personally had never heard of until I came to China, but it is huge and it is everywhere. Predominantly in the north, you do see a bit more uh, or a bit less of it down south, but it's it's over, it's everywhere. It's in every city I've ever been in in China. So while Snow's strategy has been historically one of offering lower-priced beer to grow volumes, in its most recent reports, the company has recognized the growth of the mid- to high-end beer categories, and it says it has started to campaign to uh, reposition its brand, which brought an increase of approximately 2.7% uh, in 2017. So Carlsberg, uh, which is um, a foreign brand, is uh, has a bit of a different strategy. In 2002, Carlsberg chose to leave the major China markets of the Tier 1 cities on the eastern seaboard and go west, deep into inland China. They exited Shanghai and Beijing and headed to Xinjiang and Yunnan. Inland China has the, was the one region that was not yet dominated by the large state-owned enterprise brewers. It was the poorest part of China. It still is. But beer consumption per capita in eastern China in 2005 uh, ranged from about 30 to hectoliters per person. But in Tibet and uh, Ningxia, it was only about 10 to 15 liters. And in Yunnan and Xinjiang, it was closer to three liters. So these people are drinking uh, not much beer, a lot more tea and spirits. Today, according to Carlsberg, they have uh, over 50 breweries in China and over 60% market share in Western China, where beer consumption has been growing at about 12% annually versus only 4 to 5% nationally. 
Even though Carlsberg focused on the poorest regions of China, the opposite of ABI strategy, it was able to totally dominate these regions to the point of having margins above that of ABI in their region of Western China. So premiumization, which is where you know us craft brewers fit in, um, the Chinese beer market is one of very low average prices, uh, which is a result of the low penetration of premium beers. The premium segment, however, has been growing at a fast pace. Inside these segments, it has included uh, craft and imported beer as well. Budweiser is in the premium category and is sold for um, about $2 a can, while Corona, which is imported and classified as super premium, costs around $6 uh, a bottle. The core and core plus segments are composed by mainstream brands, which account for the lion's share of the market. It's 80 to 85 percent larger uh, currently. I'm sorry, 80 to 85 percent of lager currently sold in China is economy price and about a dollar twenty per liter, which is a legacy of state-run breweries offering cheap beer for many, many decades. According to ABI, the premium segment already represents more than 6% of the industry and has been growing consistently around 10% per year. And the super premium, although very small, has been growing over 30% per year. An important aspect of the premium segment is China is that the cheap, I'm sorry, is that the price gap and consequently the margin gap between the core segment and the premium segment is very big compared to other regions. According to ABI, quote, gross profit of our premium brands are over five times that of core and value brands. And for the super premium, this ratio is over nine, end quote. In the premium segment, ABI is the clear leader with about 57% of the market share, mostly with its Budweiser brand. Heineken has a market share uh, of approximately 8% in the premium segment and only 0.5% of the overall beer volume. While the growth of the premium segment, most of the brewers have been trying to increase their presence in the segment. According to ABI's former director of distribution, quote, low-end and mid-range products are hardly profitable for breweries and even loss-generating in some areas. Amid the rapidly rising labor and marketing costs, it's only natural for beer companies to slash their production of low-end and mid-range beer and turn to develop high-end products, end quote. Imported beer compose most of the super premium segment. Uh, beer imports in China reached uh, $570 million in 2017, registering a record-breaking year-on-year growth of 42.5%, but still a very small percentage of the total $80 billion U.S. dollar market. Imported uh, beer takes up quite a significant share of the local beer markets in Fujian, Guangdong, and Zhejiang. The ratio of domestic beer to imported beer is probably 9 to 1 in these regions, but the share of imported beer is increasing, and ABI is leading the channel with Corona, Stella, Hogarden, and Lefe. The business of craft beer has also just started in China. Craft's share of that total is undoubtedly small. There are no reported numbers, but analysts say it represents only 0.1% of the overall market, um, or about 80 million U.S. dollars. Most of the craft beer available in the market has been brewed by beer fans or individual insiders like Bionic Brew, Slow Boat, Great Leap, uh, and others. So ABI significantly over-indexes in the premium segment with over 25% of its volume coming from this segment, while the industry expects a little over 9% sales from the category. So expected market, market growth uh, depends which segment of the market you're looking at. Total volumes have been following about f- falling about 5% annually in China for the past three years. 
This drop has been driven by the rising popularity of wine and other alternatives, as well as a decline in the numbers of working-age people who consume most of the cheap lager, which is priced at less than a dollar a bottle. Uh, that's a dollar a bottle like in a restaurant, not just at a convenience store, and accounts for more than 90% of volumes. At the same time, the overall value of the Chinese beer sales has risen slightly as younger and more affluent consumers switch to premium drinks, especially home consumption of imported beer, for example, rose 40% last year, according to consumer research company Kantar. Looking forward, most specialists forecast a continuation of what we have seen in the last few years, with volumes declining as the share of, of the higher-end segments grow. On top of this trading up in terms of category, we'll probably see an overall increase in prices in all categories. Since Chinese beer makers, which already suffer low profit margins, are feeling the pain of a rapid rise in the production cost, especially after new environmental policies are expected to trigger a rise in the packaging material prices and employment costs are quickly rising. ABI mentioned in uh, its 2014 Investors Day that it expected volumes to decline at a rate of about 2% uh, in the medium term. The former deputy general manager at Qingdao is more pessimistic, stating that he expects revenues to decline at a rate of 2% to 3% as the consumption of beer drops while the cocktails and wine increases. It is interesting to notice that in a year such as 2015, when volumes in China were down by a record amount, the sales volume of mid-range and high-end light beers increased by 3.3 and 16.6% respectively. In the same period, sales revenue generated from mid-range and high-end beers rose by 7.6% and 24.9% respectively. Despite these pessimistic expectations on the short to medium term, there are forecasts that show that China will be the main contributor for global beer volume growth in the next several years, accounting for as much as 31% of the global growth in the beer market. All right, now that's the data that I received from uh, this group of people. Um, from outside of China. I think it was pretty thorough. I did not give all of it to you, but I, I tried to get the highlight to you um, so you don't have to sift through it all like I did. Uh, there's a lot in there. And most of it from my personal experience kind of spot on. I can add some anecdotes and you know um, some, some things that have happened to me over the years. But um, you know, I think that uh, it's, it's it's pretty uh, on point as far as where the growth is and what I'm seeing in the industry in general. I think it's really important to remember that if you're outside of China and, you're, and you've not been here or you don't have a lot of experience in China, you have to remember that it's a very large country. Uh, it's nearly identical in size to the United States if all of 50 states were put together. Uh, Alaska is a pretty big one. And it's a very, you know, it's old. So it's got each region is very different from one another. Um, it, the different languages, different cultures, different foods, different cu customs, and it's really tough to to say like I'm going to go to China. Well, where are you going to go in China? I mean, you really need to pick a place. Uh, you know, you can see by Carlsberg strategy, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, they're going to go to the western part of the state where you know beer consumption is like two to three cases a year. Um, meanwhile, ABI is focusing on. Tier 1 cities. The Tier 1 cities are Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen. But there's also some, you know, some buffer area around those cities. And, you know, they're obviously doing much better in those Tier 1 cities than Carlsberg is. But your investment's going to be much higher in the Tier 1 cities. I mean, rent can be multiples uh, in these bigger cities, what it would be in, in Western China. Plus your cost of, of employees, cost of logistics, cost of everything is going to go up in the Tier 1 cities. 
So you really have to look at, you know, which, where do you want to be in the country? You know, pick a, pick a province, pick a city, and focus on that instead of trying to go all over the place. Uh, so my brewery is based in Guangdong, Shenzhen, uh, Guangdong province, uh, which is China's largest GDP producing province. And it also is, um, I believe, it, the most densely populated, I believe, uh, province. There's about 120 million people in the, the province. And my city's got about 20 million people. Uh, and around the city, if you count, you know, like the whole uh, PRD, Pearl River Delta, you got about 65 million people in that, you know, that strip of dirt. So kind of compact. Um, the main language in Guangdong is Cantonese. It's not Mandarin, although most people speak Mandarin, particularly if they've been to university or if they, you know, work um, with anybody outside of their, their small community. There are many other languages in Guangdong besides Cantonese, but that's the big one. Um, and it's very, very, you know, weather-wise, it's hot. It's very hot. There's palm trees and mangoes and, and tropical storms. I mean, right now, the, I think there's a, a typhoon headed, headed for Shenzhen. Is going to affect your beer quality for people bringing beer in. Shenzhen has, I think, the third largest port in, in the world, um, one of the biggest in China. So your main port entries for your beer are going to be Tianjin in the north, Shanghai, and Shenzhen and Guangzhou. And that's kind of where most beer is going to come in. Um, so depending on what time of the year, um, you pretty much need cold chain all the time down south. But up in the north, if it's cold uh, in the wintertime, maybe you can get away without having cold chain. Um, today, I want to say it's around 35 degrees Celsius outside. Um, that's somewhere in the 90s, I believe, Fahrenheit. Uh, and that's going to be an issue that we'll talk about in a, in a bit. So all the craft beers in China that have been around for a while um, make up the majority of their income from their own bars and restaurants and not from distribution. So as I've said before, we've got the brewery, we've got our distribution company, and we've got our, our bar. And we've had a couple of bars in the past, but we're down to basically one and a, and a pop-up at a live music venue. Uh, at Bionic, we make over 80% of our revenues from our bar alone. And this is why you see Goose Island has a brew pub in Shanghai. Stone is setting up a brew pub in Shanghai. Um, any, you know, Boxing Cat, which was purchased by ABI last year, has three um, bars plus some other subsidiary bars that they had in Shanghai. And the route to market in, in China is through your bar. It's not through distribution of your product. Um, this is difficult. Bars, restaurants, and clubs have different licenses. It is actually not even legal for a foreigner to own a entertainment venue, um, all, uh, at least outright. You have to have a joint venture if you want to have an entertainment venue in China. So you don't want to have a, a club, a place that has like a lot of live music. You need to have a, a bar, restaurant. Those are different licenses that allows you to sell uh, mostly you know, food and alcohol, and that's where you're going to get um, the easiest course of, uh, of getting a license and also it's something that a foreigner can own on their own as opposed to being forced to into a joint venture, which you may not want to do. If you want to have your own business uh, in China, you need to have a WUFI, a wholly foreign-owned enterprise, um, which is, it depends on where you are, how straightforward and cost, uh, uh, how much that is going to cost you. We're not going to talk about it here today. You can look it up online. So uh, in addition to, you know, owning your own bar, uh, most foreigners are trying to enter the market through distribution, uh, like through bringing in their own beer and finding a local distributor. I would say 
at least two or three times a month, if not getting close to once a week now, someone's contacting me and asking me to import and distribute or help them get their beer into China. I've pretty much just started saying no uh, across the board um, because I don't have the resources to, to really help them in a meaningful way. And, you know, uh, if you can't do something right, you know, or even half right, why bother trying? So the market's getting flooded, particularly in Shanghai and Beijing, but I'm seeing it all over. And some people, although they're dying to get their beer into the market and they can't find a distributor, others have a pro another problem. You know, the bigger brands like Sierra Nevada or um, Dogfish Head are actually in China, in premium grocery stores with import labels on them, but they're not supposed to be. The gray import market is quite big all over China. And I've seen, uh, you know, those two uh, beers, uh, brands uh, particularly in my local uh, supermarket. And originally when I saw them a few years ago, they didn't have import labels. They were obviously smuggled illegally. But now they do have import labels. So somehow they're, they're buying them, you know, in another country from another distributor. They're importing them. And the quality of the beer is most likely not very good. Uh, unfortunately cold chain and cold uh, shipping is something that's not that common in China. Even if somebody tells you that they're going to ship your beer cold, uh, they're probably not. I've very rarely seen it happen. I know distributors that are multi-million dollar uh, organizations that have the accounts for Hogarden, Duval, Budweiser. I mean, they're the biggest of the big, and their cold room can fit about six pallets of beer in it, and the cold room is less than a year old. They just don't really believe in the extra costs, most people when I talk to about, you know, the need for storing our beer cold um, sort of laugh. They're like, well, that's going to kill your profit margins. I'm like, yes, I know. I understand. But if we don't do it, then it's going to kill the beer and we don't want to have a bad product on the market. So you're going to have to um, find a distributor that's going to store it cold and ship it cold and I can't really think of that many that do that. I mean, maybe I can one hand in the whole country. Can I think of guys who, who do it um, honestly? So my general rule is I, I don't really drink imported beer in China. I know I'm biased because I have a brewery here, but um, it always tastes oxidized. Uh, and some of these beers are fantastic beers. I know they are because I've had them in, you know, in the U.S. at the brewery or at a, at a store in the United States, grocery store or a bar. But they just don't travel well into China. And it's a little sad And when you're paying 10 to $15 for a bottle of beer, um, which is kind of standard in China. 10, 10 bucks is, is easy to do. Um, I, I've seen them go much higher. And, you know, I'm pretty much 99% certain that that beer is not going to be any good when it's poured. So, um, you know, that's a great opportunity for local breweries. Not a great for the guys who are trying to brew their beer and send it into China. We see uh, new brands all the time pop up that are here for six months to a year and then disappear. Be careful of, uh, you know, if you're going to come to China, commit to it. You're going to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars, probably at least, uh, in, in all the marketing. And you might have to build some of your own cold chain. you got to have your own salespeople. Distributors are not going to sell your beer for you. Distributors here are going to want between uh, 40 to 60 percent margins on your keg of beer. And they're only going to do delivery for you. They're not actually going to, to sell it for you, really. They're, they're going to expect you to sell it. You have to provide the glassware, the POS materials, the, the free kegs, if there's anything free. Um, they're not going to do pretty much anything but take it from A to B. And if you're lucky, they'll clean the lines. 
if you're lucky. Uh, but that doesn't happen that often either. So you might want to consider setting up your own distribution office, um, some sort of sales office that can at least like test the beer, um, clean lines in addition to the distributor, assuming that they don't do their job because there's a very good chance they will not. Or you just set up your own distribution company uh, or buy a distribution company that's already out there. I mean, there are many of them and, and there is a dire need for uh, more, uh, definitely better ones that will do all the things that you would expect in your local Western beer market of Sydney or Denver or Berlin that just, you know, basic things that just don't happen here yet because the market's so young. So there's a, there's a huge opportunity for distribution in China, but that opportunity is not going to be you putting your beer on a ship and then waiting to receive fat paychecks from the distributor. It's going to be more like you coming to China, setting up a distribution company or partnering with one or buying one. Um, so that way you can make sure your beer is going to be good uh, to go. The next step, if you're pretty well off, is would be to produce your beer into China. It's like, just make it here, you know, um, uh, OEM it, you know, contract brew your beer. It's getting really hard because there are so many uh, breweries now in China um, that can't meet their own capacity or they don't have, they never had a brewery to begin with. Uh, so they're going to these larger contract breweries and they're brewing there. And, you know, the price per liter you're looking at uh, to brew a beer, you know, your cost of ingredients on, let's say, a pale ale is going to run you around a dollar a liter and then your contract fees are going to be over a dollar a liter. Um, and then what's really kind of sucks in China is that most breweries charge you for the full batch volume. They don't charge you for the packaged amount. So if you brew 10,000 liters, you're going to pay for not only the ingredients on the 10,000 liters to brew it, but you're going to pay the fee for the 10,000 liters per liter, but you're only going to get you know, 90% of that batch. You might lose 10%, uh, maybe even 15%. Uh, depending on you know how you filtered your beer, and that's going to sting a little bit more. Though on top of that, cold chain logistics are at least three times the price, if not five times the price of non-cold chain logistics. And you know these 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 large contract breweries are not going to be in a major city. They're going to be you know four and a half five hours outside of Beijing. They're going to be five six hours outside of Shanghai. They're going to be in the middle of the country, which is where most of uh, Budweiser, ABI's breweries are, and like Wuhan and other places like that. So you got to ship that beer all the way across the country. When you get it across the country, you got to store it cold, and then you're going to have to, um, you know, get it out to all your, your your retail bars and restaurants. So it's a massive logistics logistics cost in addition to your contract fees and your ingredients. Keep in mind that all the ingredients that we use are most of us in, are using are imported, and there's a 17% tax on everything imported into China at minimum. So there's going to be an additional cost of brewing here as opposed to just, you know, brewing it outside and bringing it in. The one advantage you have to brewing outside of China and bringing it in is you can bypass the 12,000 bottle an hour rule and the pasteurization rule that forces uh, local brewers to really kind of be in the bar business, the brew pub business, because you need, you know, millions of dollars in order to buy the equipment and the scale uh, to to meet the requirements the government has in order to be legal for a bottle or a can of beer. Uh, kegs, on the other hand, don't have to be pasteurized. That that license is easier to get. It's it's not easy. It's just easier, and it's a, but there are not many venues you can sell your your beer to. So let's say you do everything right as far as cold chain. You 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 package it. It goes me into the cold room. It's transported to the bar cold. 
Your next problem is that there aren't many bars in China that have refrigeration. I, I would guesstimate somewhere in the neighborhood of 98% or 99% of all bars are using flash chillers. Now, again, Guangdong province, it's, it's nearly 100 degrees out every day, 35 Celsius. Um, the beer just sits out. They don't go into a fridge once it arrives in the bar. It just goes through that little flash chiller that, that you would use at a beer festival. And those are, by the way, all provided by the breweries and the distributors themselves. So even that flash chiller, which you don't want to use, you'll be begging them to take your beer and use it by the time you realize that there's nowhere else to sell your beer because, you know, they don't actually put in their own draft equipment in most bars in China. The brewery gives it to them. And you'll see the same, you'll see Budweiser, Brewdog, I mean, ABI products, you know, Hogarden, whatever, Duval products to include Firestone and Boulevard, and Brewdog, pretty much everywhere. That's all you're going to see are, are those couple of corporate brands. Um, and you're going to, unless you go to a craft beer bar, like you come to a bionic tap room and we're going to have 50% of our taps are going to be bionic. 50% of our taps are going to be for guest beers. But because we have such a struggle um, in the market, we pretty much only give those to other local uh, craft brewers. Uh, every once in a while, we might put a keg of some imported American or Australian craft beer on, but it very rarely happens just because, you know, we don't have a ton of taps and we want to support the local local uh, Chinese craft brewers. So um, I got to get out of here, but um, if you have more questions about distribution, again, uh, just email me or anything else at uh, joe at bionicbrew.com. It's joe at bionicbrew.com and appreciate you listening.